We will open up the Word of God together to Philippians chapter 4. We have been tracking along week by week, going through this book, trying to allow a specific theme to sink down into our hearts. And that is the fact that those who are in Christ Jesus, who have received the gospel and the good news of Christ, can run their race of life with joy every day, in season and out of season. Last week we saw that because of Jesus, truly, we have no reason to worry about anything. He's already met all of our needs in his riches of grace and mercy. Doesn't mean there aren't concerns and things we care about, people that we care about in life, but we could bring every single one of those worries to him in prayer. And when we do, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard us, will guard our minds in Christ Jesus. As past week, I finally got around to getting my hair cut, which was several weeks too long. Some of you know that. Uh, but as I'm sitting in the barber shop over at University Town Center, they've got all these different sporting events up, and they've got soccer up. Not really interested in that if it's not the World Cup. But they did have the Boston Marathon on. And I can't say that I've ever watched the marathon before, so this will be interesting. And so it's got split-screen view. There's the men's marathon the women's marathon. And I learned a whole lot about running a marathon just by watching for 15 minutes while I'm getting my hair cut. And I see these packs of runners. The, the biggest pack I saw was 12 people large running together because, you know, some of them cut down the wind resistance and it's just easier when you run alongside people to, to keep that pace going rather than run by yourself. But it's interesting, every now and then, one of them will make a go for it and break for the lead and they'll just start picking up the tempo and they start out pacing the group. Well, what happens about four to five minutes later? They, they start dying back, and next thing you know, they're with the pack again. And then someone else makes a break for it and runs for it, and they, they come back, and they show the ladies, they're doing the same thing. Another thing I learned are the, the Kenyans are incredible. They own that event. Yep. Holy cow, the Jamaicans might have the short distance, but the Kenyans have the long distance. It's unreal how many in the top ten were from Kenya. You should look it up, uh, especially the winners. So you learn a lot by watching people run their race. But even this past week, since I last preached, since we last gathered together for worship, a lot happened in our lives over the last seven days, didn't it? I saw the same things played out in life that I saw illustrated in this race. Some of us were surging forward and ahead, full of hope and encouragement and optimism, and some of us are fading back and the obstacles are mounting or the physical sicknesses and hardships or the issues with the house or the family. So we all go through these seasons together. We understand exactly what it is to run a marathon because you just ran one this past week. So give yourself a round of applause. You're still here. You're still running. And scripture says we can keep running our race with joy. But the question that is before us today when we get to Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 13 is... How do we find the strength to keep running and to continue on? And, and how do we find the strength not only for ourselves, but to help others run their race? Because that seems impossible at times. Not so much. Paul tells us right here in the Word of God that he has learned a secret. A secret 
that is applicable in every season of life because Jesus Christ is a savior for every season, not just the good ones. Paul tells us, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So let's read this passage together. Try to understand how do we know that Christ will have us in every season of life. Paul says this. It's the word of God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we learn a lot about life from Paul's race and from the teaching of the word of God here. We'll learn a couple things. And, and like I said, the main point is that Christ is sufficient every season of life. And that's played out in three specific ways. First of all, Paul says every season of life, whether you're abounding or whether you're falling behind, it's an opportunity for grace. Every season of life is an opportunity for grace. He says, you Philippians, you were concerned about me, but you had no opportunity to show that generosity until now. I thought that was interesting. See, Paul calls his imprisonment an opportunity. How many of us would view imprisonment as an opportunity? I view it as a hardship. Where's my lawyer? Get me out. Not Paul. He might be trying to keep up with the pack, but he says, you know what? God's in control of this entire race. I trust him. This is an opportunity for people to, to see what my God is made out of, what he can do, the promises that he will keep. It's an opportunity for me to rely on him, but it's also an opportunity for you, Church of Philippi, because Paul has a need. And when the Church of Philippi heard about that need, they could have said, well, that really stinks for Paul. Man, he's really falling behind. I, I hope he catches up at some point. I hope he gets out of prison. No, they were caring for him. They were concerned about him. This is an opportunity for them to show grace because they know the same Jesus that Paul knows. They're not second-class Christians. I know, we think the Apostle Paul, the super saint Christian and he says, I figured out the secret. So he's on a whole different class than we are. No, no, no. It's an opportunity for him to trust in God, but it's an opportunity for the church at Philippi to trust God and say, I didn't need that $10 that I was going to spend on Starbucks. I didn't need that $100. I, let me give to help someone in need. And whether you're the giver or the receiver, God's grace abounds in every season of life. What a gift. And it might seem odd, but Paul doesn't actually come out and say, hey, thanks for the gift. So what gives? What does he say? He says, I'm not speaking of, of being in need. I'm not trying to guilt or manipulate you people to give me more. We should be careful of that. Let's not make people feel pity on us so that we think maybe they'll give us something. It's not what Paul's doing. But he says, I rejoiced in the Lord. 
and I rejoice greatly. When I opened up the mail and I saw that check, of course they didn't have checks back then, but you know, a messenger brought the money, I rejoiced, but not so much for the gift. I rejoiced in the Lord because he met my needs once again. And I rejoiced in the Lord that you all took that opportunity to be generous. I thank God for you. Praise God. He gets all the glory because all grace comes from him. And every dollar in our bank account comes from him anyways, right? I know sometimes we think, oh, I need to give 10% to the Lord. And I need to give a certain amount to the Lord. It's all his. It's all his. It's all grace. That doesn't mean you give 100% to the church. You take care of your family. You take care of your needs. You take care of the needy. But we give with a generous heart. And when we do, there's rejoicing for those who receive it. And I'd just like to point out that Philippi was a church plant. Paul planted Philippi. So what a joy for a church planter to see this church continues to invest in people years later. I see that for our church. I pray that over our church. I know that's the future that God has in store for us according to his will. But one thing we need to understand is our weakness provides the platform for God to provide. It's a humbling thing to have to depend on our Father for everything. But he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 11, he says this, My grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's God's promise to us. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul's response, inspired by the Spirit of God, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's okay to say things are hard. It's okay to say you're in a hardship or you're stuck in a hole or in a rut or you're doubting with something. Because when we confess our weakness, we can also confess the strength of God that's seeing us through. It's not double talk. Both go hand in hand. Paul even says, for Christ's sake, I am joyful, whether in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty. Because when I'm weak, that Christ is strong. It's not my strength that's going to get me to the finish line. It's the strength of Christ. And each season of life is an opportunity for Jesus to show how his grace is sufficient for you. Now, all of us have different opportunities going on right now, to use the Pauline word. So I don't know if it's a money issue for you, if it's a family issue, a physical issue, hardship, mental illness, a friend that's walked away from you. But wherever there's a gap in your life or where there's a piece missing, are you looking for the Father above who wants to fill that piece and hold you up? His power, not mine. His. And my grace is sufficient for you. Followers of Jesus should have no problem admitting our weaknesses. Isn't that how we started this race to begin with? I am a sinner. I have fallen short of God's glory. I was born in sin, and I like my sin. I have offended God. I am a rebel. I deserve his judgment and punishment. The Bible tells us the wages of sin, what we've earned with our sin, is death. Eternal death. You want to talk about something missing in your life. I was missing everything. And I was going to spend eternity apart from my loving father in judgment because I rejected him. But where I sinned, God's grace abounded all the more. 
He loved me. He pursued me. The Father sent His Son. God came in human flesh to take the cross, the ultimate self-deprecating, humiliating, punishing work was his death. So that through the weakness of Christ and his death, we could all be raised to new life by faith. It's always been by grace through faith. That's how we're saved and that's how we live. So anyone that tells you it's your good works that gets you into heaven, you know that's not true because it's not your good works that keeps you going. It's all God's grace. I'm not saved because of what I did or, or where I grew up or where I went to church. I'm saved by the free gift offered in Jesus by the grace of God. And those who humble themselves admit we need a Savior and we find that he fills our every need. So if anyone tells you salvation is more about the future, walk them back on that. Yes, salvation is forward-looking. We're looking forward to the day where Jesus returns and heaven descends to earth and it's all remade, it's all perfect. But you know, heaven resides in my heart now through the Holy Spirit of God. And I lack for nothing because of the gift of God's grace. Now, it's not easy planting a church in an area where everyone thinks they already have everything they need. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And here we are in Sarasota. We first have to convince people they need a savior before we say, hey, why don't you receive the savior? They say, what for? My bank account's good. I got my boat. I mean, I'm down at the Sarasota Boat Show this weekend, you know, getting, getting that and and I'm good to go. I got a job. My family's taken care of. I have fun on the weekends. So I prayed and I sought the Lord fervently. I said, Lord, why are we here? Because so many people have heard our invitation to come to Christ and have rejected it. So it makes you wonder, what, what is happening and what are you doing? I've spent a lot of time in prayer and reading my Bible the last couple of weeks just asking God that question. Show me. Why are we here? Who are we here to help? And I believe I, I heard from the Lord. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was from the word of God as I read. He said, Josh, you are here to help those in need. You're here to show mercy to those who need mercy. You are to care for those who need care. And I said, okay, Lord, if that's who we're here to help, then you got to show me and lead me to them. Lead our flock to them. Be careful when you say that, because God will show you. And just this past Wednesday, a small group is starting up. We have a small group that meets in our home over by the airport. We have a small group that meets at Lakewood Ranch and Tony and Nadia's home. And, and so both groups come together in the Word and a fellowship and prayer. And right as we get our food, and I take one bite. I just had to do it, right? You take the one bite of the cracker and cheese and meat. This is great. And then the phone rings. And it's a realtor friend that I know who used to live in the house that we live in now, and he said, hey, Josh, I, I, I hate to bother you, but there's just someone that really needs help. And he lives just around the corner from you, and he is at his lowest point of concern for him. He's, he's lost everything. He has to move out of his house by the weekend. Could you come over and talk to him? I'm supposed to be leading this small group, right? Lord, this is what you want me to do. This is our church schedule. We do our small group on Wednesday night. And we talk about helping people. We don't actually help people on Wednesday night. So I had to make the split-second decision. 
Okay, you guys, you have been equipped for this. You've been to small group. You've seen how we make disciples. I'm going to go out with, with my realtor friend. We're going to go talk to this man around the corner. And you all have got this. And over the next few hours, I saw as God used our church, Living Hope Church, to get that man moved out of his house in record time and to use uh, their muscles and their sweat and their tears and to go and give him rides uh, to, to get a, a tire because he couldn't even drive his car. One of his tires had blown out. He hit a curb and literally everything was going wrong for him and he doesn't know Jesus. So 9 o'clock at night as we're finishing up our last run, taking a tool chest over to a storage unit, he's in the back of the car and he says, Josh, I just got to know why. Why are you guys helping me? I don't know anyone that's ever done this before, and no one's ever done it for me. And, and Mark and Ryan, and, and, and you know, they had such a big smile on their face. And why, why are you guys doing this? And he's breaking down, sobbing. And it was an open door, an opportunity to share about the God who loves him, who cares for him, and wants to bring him into his family. And I said, I'm sorry that you're losing your house. But there's something worse than having nothing. It's having everything and not knowing God. I said, you have an opportunity here. And it, it gives me goosebumps because I, I hadn't even done all my message prep that I should have because my schedule got interrupted. But God, let me say, this is an opportunity for you to see God meet your need. And church, he used you to help fill that need. And because of that, this man has heard the gospel multiple times. Just pray over his soul. His name is Tim. Pray for Tim that he will receive Christ. And it's for him God sent us here. And it's for many more like that. But if we're not viewing life as opportunities for grace, we're going to miss it. Oh, a small group happens Wednesday night. We've got to do it just like we've always done it. You're going to miss it. Look for those opportunities to show grace to people in need. Because every season of life is an opportunity for grace. Secondly, Paul tells us every season of life is an opportunity to be content. It's an opportunity for contentment. He says in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, he calls it a secret. It's a mystery. Why does he call it that? Well, I think it's, it, it should be pretty clear. Most people are not satisfied. Most people are not content. And I, I lump myself in with them. But at some point... Since his salvation, over the course of his life and ministry, God showed Paul this is contentment in every circumstance. Paul had gone through all of it, my goodness, in ways that I'll never understand. But he showed him his way when he was in the valley and the mountaintop, when he was hungry or when he wasn't hungry, when he had his financial needs met. There were times where he had needs, when he was beaten, when he was comfortable, when he was sleeping, or when he had sleepless nights. God was with him, and God met his needs. He said, I've learned, no matter what the circumstances are, I can be content, which means satisfied. So think with me, you're, you're eating this big feast, say it's the 4th of July. Okay, I don't know if you guys do a big... A big cookout for the 4th of July, but that's something we like to do. The burgers, the hot dogs, the drinks, the watermelon, 
Uh, let's see, we do uh, what potato salad and macaroni salad. It, we, we do it all, okay? And we, we stuff ourselves full to celebrate the freedom that we have in our country. And at some point, you're offered some food and you have to say, no, at least you should if you don't. Okay, but you reach that point, I, I'm sorry, I can't eat anymore, I'm satisfied, content. Paul says the believer has that opportunity to find contentment in every circumstance of life. It's a bold statement because we have plenty of reasons where we could be discontent. We have tons of things that aren't going well for us. And yet, think about this. An author named Greg Easterbrook wrote in his book, The Progress Paradox, that even though the life in the Western world has dramatically increased over the past previous decades, and overall wealth and, and, and education and, and comforts have improved, the levels of happiness and contentment have dropped significantly. So there's empirical evidence showing it's not about how much stuff you get, which is so countercultural. It's a, it flies in the face of every commercial you've ever seen, right? If you buy this, you'll be happy. Well, we've been buying it, and we're still not happy. Oh, you must just need to buy something else. A well-known preacher named Charles Spurgeon said, if you are not content with what you have now, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. Because that's how we work. Nelson Rockefeller, wealthy, wealthy, filthy rich man, was asked, how much money is enough? And he says, a little bit more. A little bit more. Contentment starts now. Contentment is where the believer really looks at our relationship with Christ. What he's given us by the cross. Okay? I'm glad it didn't fall over another way. Uh, I might just switch stands here and, uh, and not, uh, not mess with that anymore. But we look at what we have in Christ. We look to the word of God to see how powerful and amazing and fulfilling our God is. And when we do, we realize the grass isn't greener over there. The grass is always greenest here where God has me. I know. We think, well, once I get past the cancer, then I'll, then I'll be fulfilled. No. God's glory, his beauty is that he gives us contentment even in the midst of the storms of life, not just on the other side. It's not just health, wealth, and prosperity, although we might wish it to be that case sometimes. When we know Christ, we know fulfillment. We have him. We have God. He's on our side. He is with us, never to leave us. His peace is inside of us. Eternal life is in front of us. Love and joy and fellowship are all ours in Christ Jesus. So in Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? Hardship, famine, beatings, nakedness, sword. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's watching over me and he's meeting every single one of our needs. Last week we saw what anxiety will do to us when we just worry, 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 worry. And our mind is out of control because God is 
so much more a better general manager of my life than I am. And we said, sometimes we just need to get a piece of paper and write, Lord, I resign as general manager of my life. <laughs> Submitted. It's in your hands. I can go to sleep now. Because even if I don't have everything figured out tomorrow, you'll be here. When I wake up, I'll know you've been watching over me while I sleep. You're with me. By his life, I can live content in every circumstance. So there's grace and there's contentment in every season of life. And third and finally, every season of life is an opportunity to find true strength. True strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the main point of Paul's life. Christ said, I'm going to show you, Paul, how much you're going to suffer for my name's sake. But when I'm done with you, the whole world's going to know how glorious I am. And you get to be the vessel that bears my name. But you do need to suffer. And think to yourself, how much ink is being spilled and how many books are being printed promising if you put your faith in Jesus, health and wealth are ahead of you, baby. Woo, sky's the limit. Prosperity time. Come here at uh, 6 o'clock on Wednesday night, and if you're sick, you will be healed. We will lay hands on you, and we will heal you. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Paul never promised anyone, you come here at a certain time, and God will move exactly how we want him to move. That cancer might be the answer to prayer. God, glorify yourself through me. Okay. I'm going to take you through the valley. Because that's when people see that your faith is real. Not when you're flush with cash and you don't have a worry in the world. Well, yeah, anyone can praise God then. Look to Job. Look to the one who lost everything. And still had strength to praise God when he was at his lowest point. And I think because of that prosperity thinking or because of our American individualism, we read that verse differently and in the wrong way. I can do all things. Who tries to be this right? I, I can do it. It's about me. No. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. One commentator I was reading named P.T. O'Brien said that one context you need to keep in mind in, in, in this uh, first century context is that the leading philosophers of the day were the Stoics, the Epicureans, the Cynics. And two of these uh, philosopher groups, the Cynics and the Stoics, said that their doctrine could really be defined as man is sufficient unto himself for all things. And by the power of his own will to resist the force of his circumstances. How's that for your dogma? This is our doctrine. We will figure this out. We have the strength. We have the fulfillment in us. It's not too different from America today, is it? Unfortunately, it's not too different from the church today either. Look at our buildings. Look at our programs. Come on Sunday morning and we've got everything for your family. Jesus is nowhere to be found, but we'll meet all your felt needs. And the underlying statement is, if we just build it, they will come. God says, I will build my church 
And I don't need you to do more for me. I don't need you to skip sleep. I don't need you to work longer hours. I don't need you to even throw more money in the plate as a way to try to appease me and to manipulate the circumstances. I need you to get out of the way and let me live through you. Will you do that? My spirit is inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is why we make a big distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Because we've blurred the lines. You're all God's children. Everybody's just going to make it into heaven one day. No. Not everyone's going to make it to heaven one day. Jesus says, if you don't put your faith in me, you'll be cast out with the wicked into outer darkness. That's what Jesus said, not me. You can check me on it. The wages of sin is death. The lake of fire burns forever, Revelation 20. And no matter how much you put effort into it or how much you're a good person, you will not have the strength to get to heaven, much less the strength for that next step in your faith walk. But those who are in Christ, this should be the biggest relief off of our shoulders. I don't have to handle this burden. I mean, Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He knocked over the pillars of this huge building and killed thousands of Philistines. That was just a little glimpse of the power of the Spirit of God rushing upon him. And we all have the Spirit of God inside of us for those who are in Christ. That's why Paul says, I can do all things. Once I've realized the secret, it's Christ in me. It's not Josh. Oh, Josh, you're so, you're so spiritual. Josh, you're so... Uh, you know, you're such a good person. I've had people tell me that. I said, well, you can ask my parents if I've always, you know, even remotely resembled this in my life. And I still don't most of the time. But those glimpses, when I do, you see Christ at work in me. It's not me. It's Christ at work in me. And it's not you either. So church, when will we understand where our true strength comes from? And when we do that, there's no limit to what we can do. When you think, I can't possibly help that person another time. I'm, I'm at my wit's end. When you pray and allow the grace of God to flow through you, you're there. It happens. God, I've been discipling this person. I see no fruit. I see no progress. Should I give up? The Spirit prompts you. I didn't give up on you. All right, Lord. The strength is there through Christ Jesus. We're not self-sufficient, we're Christ-sufficient, is what P.T. O'Brien says. I love that. We're Christ-sufficient. God is able to make all grace abound towards us. It's all over the world. So if no businessman is more powerful than God, and no army is more powerful than God, than God and no cancer or hardship or dementia or or um, COVID-19, nothing is too powerful for God. If that's the case, then the kingdom of God really is unstoppable, unshakable. And as we live out our faith before the world, it's undeniable. They can hate us for it. They can throw us in jail, but they cannot stop the power of God at work in you. An unstoppable force, that is the church where the kingdom of God is at work. I want to live a life like that. I want to live a life one day where people look at me and say, there's no way, there's no way you should have accomplished that. 
I want people to say that so then I have the opportunity to say, you're right. There's no way I could have done that. That was God. That was all God. And don't you want that to be said of this church too? A lot of churches out there with some fancy toys. And when they explain how their church grew or how things happened, oh, well, I mean, we, we built this program and we put the, put the nice lights up or we had the nice backdrop. and We don't know how, but God worked through us in just our everyday missionary living, sharing the gospel, investing ourselves into our community. Somehow God did it. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't build a trellis ready to support the vine. Let's get organized. Let's, let's ask for volunteers to step forward and serve and help, and, and we're doing that. We're trying to get a greeter scheduled together and get a schedule together for nursery and children's church and, and tech, and we need it. We need it so we don't have the same people doing the same things week after week. It's too much for one person. But who's going to build this church? It's all going to be God. And I want to ask you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to think about what is the biggest dream or goal you envision for your life? What amazing things do you want to do for God? And now that you've thought about it, why think so small? Why think so small? Why dream so small? God can do exceedingly above all that you could ask or think. Because of the work of Christ in us. Now let's open our eyes and let's embrace that truth for our reality now. What opportunities do we have in front of us? This is our closing application. I'll be done. Paul had a prison cell, but what's your place of opportunity this morning? Do you have a need that enables you to go to the Father and ask for Him to provide? And by the way, let your church family know that you have a need, and we get to have the blessing of showing grace by coming alongside you. Stop trying to do it yourself. We're a family. We're here to help. We're here to let God's grace show through us. We might not be able to do everything. I can guarantee you we won't be able to do everything. But we can be a part of the blessing if you let us. Now, maybe it could be that you are actually in a really good position this week. And, and maybe your finances are in order and your bills are paid off and things are going well, then how can you use that advantage to glorify God? How can you testify? How can you show generosity and help those who are less fortunate? He gave it to you for a reason. And this is a season, an opportunity to be used for him. Maybe you're younger and you've got a bit more physical strength. Some of us are there. Most of us are there. And that's, that's good. How are we using that strength to help others? Because there are some who are not that strong and not that weak. Are, are the younger willing to serve the older, wiser adults in our flock? Are you willing to take the time to slow down and invest and share wisdom with the younger generation? I need it. We need it. We're not going to get it apart from people coming alongside of us and saying, hey, let me point out something in your life. This is the grace of God. The wisdom of God coming alongside older and wiser, married couples, helping the singles, singles who are free to roam around, invest in those families, show them the love of God. On April 29th, we all have the opportunity to come together here. And when we do, let's not just be thinking what needs to be done. We need to be thinking, 
how can I use what I am and where I am in my life to bless somebody else? We're a church that can speak to the needs of our community because we're willing to speak about our own needs in a way that glorifies Christ. We do all things through Christ who strengthens us.